This is The Guardian. Just a warning, this episode does have one or two grown-up anecdotes, so discretion is needed. I'm Grace Dent, and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to Comfort Eating. Charlie, my other half, is away this week, so I am pleasing myself with what I eat and what I do, and when I go to bed, it's actually rather fantastic. I think I'll be taking my bra off at about 6.15 tonight, locking the front door. Magical. I'm getting ready to welcome stand-up comedian, actor and writer Desiree Bertrand to my house today. Before she arrives, I'm going to wolf down a very me recipe. This is some... Pepper pig spaghetti shapes with a buttered bagel. Now, I think the pepper pig ones are really good because they're chunkier than the hoops. They're very satisfying. I always have to have a little bit out of the tin before I start. Is that wrong? They're little pigs. Look. Despite living in America for 30-odd years, Desiree is very much part of the UK comedy scene these days, delivering laugh-out-loud frankness on shows like The Mash Report and Taskmaster. But it was only in 2017 that most of us became aware of her comedy genius. Since then, she's risen up the ranks quickly, but the truth is Desiree's success was hard-earned over many years in theatres, classrooms, and even for a short time in a sex dungeon in New York City. If you've seen one of her solo shows, you'll know that Desiree is not just a comedian, she is a storyteller. So, as well as her favourite comfort food, I'm hoping she's got a tasty tale or two to share with us today. Okay, I better eat this. See, these are better than hoops. Desiree Birch, welcome to Comfort Eating. Thank you so much for having me. 
I've met you before. Yes, you have done. Um, we uh, bonded over a 500-page zombie pirate book. <laughs> Well, when you put it that way. <laughs> and what I remember about our meeting, and I don't think you'll remember this, was that we both got spewed out of the studio at the end and we were both waiting for our taxis. And yours came first. And as you were getting into the taxi, what I wanted to say to you, but I, was, I thought it sounded creepy. <laughs> I wanted to say, I will see you again. <laughs> Because this... <laughs> that sounds like something yeah. the haunting of Grace yeah. Dent's house. I, it will serve, I will see you but, again. But I'll tell you why. Because you've made such an impact that I thought, I will see you again. And here you are in my living room. <laughs> I am very intrigued by what people eat at home. So I'm very excited to see what you've brought for me today. Please reveal your snack. Okay. So, let me grab it. I get really giddy at this point. I get so excited. I'm sorry. Now, this, is, this is my biggest joy. I can't say <laughs> that this is what I eat currently in the present tense at home. This is like Bill Clinton arguing what is means. Um, but at some point in the past, this is definitely something that I ate at home. So, this is cheese rice. Um, oh. Uh, oh, I needed to melt this a little bit more, but it's cheese rice. Cheese See, that one's rice. like a good melt with some tuna mixed in um, for, you know, for protein. Okay. <laughs> so what this is, is just boiled rice yep. with a slice of melted, <laughs> yes. what we would call in this country, American That's cheese. That's what we call it in America too. <laughs> we call it a, we, a American single. Yeah, and, and, okay. it, and was that enough? Was that in a slice, a flat, a flat slice? That was a flat it, slice. And you put in I just, tuna. just canned tuna. Now, can dress it up just a little bit, just a little. So uh, the mustard that you're adding and an oh, how you're adding oh, it. Oh, and oh, yes, and oh. It's French's yellow mustard. Yes, I was gonna, I was like, oh, I would do whole grain. And then I was like, nah, 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 nah. Let's try to get some of that authenticity going. Because realistically, when I was growing up, it would rarely have been whole grain mustard. And it would have always been French's yellow mustard. So um, I'm- This is so American. I, yeah, I know. And I really wanted to give you a taste of it. Because I know how you guys get stick about, you know, oh, British food. Yes. American food can be horrendous as well. Give the fork. All right. Yes. Yes, yes. Of course. I'm going in. Okay. Now, do I mix it all? Yeah. Mix it all in there. It's essentially this is leftover, and my parents both work all day long, and so this is how we're going to um, feed ourselves when we get home from school. Okay. Do you know what I'm going to say when I go to a McDonald's? <laughs> I love when your voice <laughs> drops an octave when you're just like, I'm really oh. trying to take this all in. And you know what? I want to be polite. <laughs> but dear Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, help me. Um, what it reminds me of is a, a fillet of fish. Mm -hmm. Because the mustard has got that kind of McDonald's-y taste. Uh-huh. And then there's rice and there's, there's that cheese. That yeah. cheese is just the cheese of a of a burger in it. So what you've done. <laughs> it's the cheese of, we don't give a crap about what we put in here, but this yeah. cheese will make it all go away. Do you know something? <laughs> it's quite delicious. <laughs> yeah.
You've lived in London since 2014 when you made what sounds like um, a very big, almost rash decision to move three and a half thousand miles away from yeah. the States. Yeah. Go on, why did you do that? Oh, was, come on. Was why there did a, you do anything? Was there a man involved? Yeah, of course there was. Um, the animating force for any woman in her mid-30s who's like, I got to do something. I knew that I needed to leave New York at that point, I'd lived there for about 13 years, and I don't even know. Can I say fuck on this? You can say whatever you Amazing. like. Amazing, yes, because I needed to get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> so hang on, you move to the UK following this lad. Yeah. Where, what's your living arrangement then? So um, my living arrangement was Streatham. Uh, I moved into his place in Streatham. He had a terrace house there. Now, being the self-saboteur that he is, and we're still friends and I love him, but I will say this, he had um, a maid of his from Australia uh, in the box room and a maid of his who was pregnant, um, who he had to rescue off of a houseboat in the other room. And I was like, how are we going to start our romance this way? Like, all of this had happened in the months since we had been talking about me coming there. So were you cooking for this month? That was some old shit. So it was, yes, <laughs> I did. Um, it was, it's the only time in my life where I've ever been dependent on someone else, which is not a position, I mean, aside from my parents, obviously, but like, it's an entirely different thing to be like, I can only work as a comedian in this country. And that was after I first, the first time I came, I just came on a visitor. And then I went and got a proper visa so I could actually work. But that only meant working as a stand-up. And so I was like, I really need to make this a career fast because I can't do the thing where I'm literally barefoot in the kitchen, like cooking up a meal while he's working in the other room and being like, what is this? This is literally what my mother bent down, like looked into my eyes and was like, never yeah. be dependent on a man because yeah, she had been dependent did. on two and mm. hated both of them. Yeah. <laughs> and she was just like, you know, it's like that thing where your mother draws you and uh, draws all the curtains in a room and they're just yeah. like, here's yeah. the real shit. <laughs> and you're like, okay, mom. And she was just like, yeah. never let this happen to you. And suddenly I was there and I could just hear her in my head. And I'm just like, <laughs> Oh, my God. I mean, she's still alive, but she's 5,000 miles away. So I was like, thank God she can't see what this well, is. Because but it is totally so true. It yeah. is. It's totally true. Like, as a woman, always have a plan B and always have some secret money stashed. Thank you. And when you were cooking for him, what was on the menu? I was um, uh, boiling veg to the exact temperature that he enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was just, the whole time I was like, I can steam it. Like, ooh, oh, steam no, it? no, no. I could saute it. He was like, no, please boil this cauliflower. So what quintessentially British foods do you remember discovering when you first moved? I do like Toad in the Hole. That was quite adorable, I do have to say. Um, and or the first time we went to visit his friends in Wales and we went to this butcher he likes and picked up a bunch of faggots. And I was <laughs> like, love a faggot. <laughs> so, those are some tasty faggots. And I was just like, is no one going to address the obvious issues here? No, we're just going to. OK, cool. It's like the same way that like the big dumpsters at the tip are called skips, but so are those crisps. Yeah. And I'm like, so they're dumpster crisps. And my friend was like. No one would ever make that association. No. <laughs> no. Like, no, they're just called skips. Why are they called skips? Okay, I'm, I'm moving on. Moving My on. mind's blown. I think that's the first time I've ever realized that. <laughs> I, <laughs> so it, when, you got, when you got here and you maybe saw, I mean, I know there's one thing that doesn't seem to happen in America, which I find 
really upset and you don't do savory pies, do you? No, that is a thing that I've only come to understand here. I have a distinct memory of walking into the co-op and being like, fish pie! (laughs) (laughs) What the hell's fish pie? (laughs) And just being like, but they just took a bunch of bit fish and put it in a pie? Who does that? It was all right. I did have it, but I bought it on purpose. I was like, okay, we're going to roll up our sleeves and figure out what this fish pie is about. What vegetable would you have with a fish pie? This is basically a test of how British you are now. Oh, What I vegetable mean... do you have with a fish pie? Multiple choice. Is it aubergine? Is it minted peas? <laughs> or is it runner beans? I want to say it's the peas because it's always the peas. Okay, good. I was going to have peas and carrots, peas and carrots, but just the peas, not carrots. Uh, but peas, It's always peas. You have to have peas on the side. Yeah, this country loves a pea. On your way home tonight, I want you to go into a supermarket and buy a bag of frozen peas, mm-hmm. put them in your freezer, and then just leave them there for three years. And yeah. then you'll be truly British. Yeah. <laughs> So your show, Tar Baby, won the Fringe First Award at Edinburgh. And then in 2017, you performed your next show, Unfuckable. Yeah. <laughs> I think that when, I'm sorry, I think that if when I say it in my Northern accent, it makes it much more unpalatable. Whereas if I was on radio, I'd go, unfuckable. But when it's unfuckable, unfuckable. it's all um Its description, I'm reading this now, is... At the intersection of sex, race and capitalism sits a black woman who can't be fucked. (laughs) That is the start of like the new Bible. (laughs) (laughs) She she could not be fucked. Um, So, okay. What did you hope to achieve with this? What did you, what's the main thing you thought you wanted people to take away? Oh my goodness. Okay. Within that show, there is a lot on sex work from having worked as a dominatrix. There is quite a bit on just sort of life in this body and the ways in which, I mean, everybody who exists in a body and particularly those who identify as women feel the way that that body is sort of manipulated by the the eyes, you know, like you can feel somebody look at you and do stuff to you or whether they want to like go like, oh, yeah, or if they're just like, oh, get the hell out of here, I can't look at you, or they're projecting their own stuff onto your body. As someone who is fat and who is black, there are, are a lot of, like, you can feel people look at you and they're running a whole bunch of schematics in their brain about how they feel about your or, you know, about your size, about your flesh, about your fat versus how they feel about fatness in their own thing. So a lot of it was about trying to express, this is what I feel coming into me, not only from you, but the larger socioeconomic narrative that flows through you. Because that narrative is one of like, 
you know, everything is about productivity. Uh, and if you aren't constantly working to be super efficient all the time, super thin, super healthy, super, you know, like productive, then you're lazy and you lose value. You know, this body is the product of having survived quite a bit in terms of like, you know, uh, dubious sort of like housing. Are the lights going to be on or off? Like when I come home from school, what's yes. going on with my parents? What's happening to them because they're raising uh, black children in a white suburban town? Like all of that stuff filters in. And what this body does is that, you know, instead of lashing out or uh, doing anything criminal, it eats food and it feels soothed and it goes on about its day trying to like, you know, make a better way for itself. That's what this body does. But this show, this isn't Michael McIntyre doing <laughs> observational comedy about things that happen to him in a car park, yes, right? Yes. And I always wonder with shows like yours, you're standing at the side of the stage and it's time to do it again. Yeah. And you're literally going to go out there and pretty much rip your heart out again. Yeah. How does that feel? I think that part of living the life that I've lived is that, uh, and it's something that I'm working on now that I've gotten to this part of my life, is that you don't feel. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> I I eat to not feel, you know, and I do, and I have all the drinks after the show to not feel. And um, and anyone listening to this, you too can appear at Edinburgh Festival. <laughs> yes, Sounds like a really, really good fun thing to do. <laughs> no, honestly, I love that you say that at Edinburgh that you end up eating to not feel. What is the perfect after gig eating to not feel thing to eat. Now, okay. So I, this is, my Edinburgh has changed over the years. And I think that's just due to the success of shows. Uh, because I would say I, it is difficult for me to talk about the majority of food there without like a physical sort of rejection of, because like, I, I was just, I was recently visiting a friend and she's like, oh, we'll get crepes. And I like, I hate crepes. I hate them with a, a deep, burning passion. And it's because of every single late night crepe that I've eaten in Edinburgh full of whatever swill some student poured into it and then charged me a tenner for. I just like, I, that those are done. Darling, do you remember what you actually served as a snack? <laughs> and if, Sorry, they, and if they put this in a crepe, I would have been like, so, so oh. be it. Thank you. Because as I say, what would be in the what would be in the crepe? Would it be like a kind of a, that weird cheese sauce? They put cheese and ham, but you yeah. don't know whether it's really ham, ham. or donkey. Yeah, <laughs> that kind it's of donkey and cheese food oh. wrapped up in a pan, and it's not even like. I, it's just that, like when I was fifteen, I would totally eat this because yes. I was fifteen. Yes. <laughs> You know, or yeah. I guess realistically when I was 23 and in New York and this was all that was left in the kitchen. But like, it's Still another thing. It, to be quite honest. It's, right? it's a completely <laughs> different thing mm. when you're like, but I'm, I'm, I'm grown and I deserve vegetables. So hang on. Did, was there a point where you got a little bit, uh. Yeah. I got ooh. a little bit more paper. Yeah. Um, yeah. The pa like, um, Unfuckable definitely made everything around the corner. Like I did that show on the blunderbuss. So like every single night I squeezed like 50 people upstairs onto that bus that's by Pottero that Bob Slayer runs. And I did that show like Emma Thompson and her daughter came up on the bus to see me do a show on the bus. And I was like, what oh. is happening to my life? Yeah. At that point I was like, okay, we can upscale it. And then I sorted out that, you know, that, um, 
right at uh, right at Princess Street and uh, what is that North Bridge? There's that fancy hotel. Okay, are we talking about like the Balmoral? Or something yeah, like that's that? the one. It's very, it's very Scottish. Yes, like and you walk in, there's like obviously tartan carpets, and there's usually a man outside with bagpipes. Yep. Yeah, that it's just, one. It's, yeah, that one. And you know, it's not it's not London price expensive, but it's, it's, it's Scottish price expensive, which yeah. meant that I would go in there sometimes after the show and be like, "I'm treating myself to langoustines. Let's oh. do this." Yeah. <laughs> do you have like a glass of champagne or uh-huh, something? And oh. just be like, <laughs> it is one of the greatest things when money comes in to be able to do that as a woman, to be yeah. able to go, to be able to buy yourself a bit of space yes. from from the world. That is precisely what I was purchasing. And a lot of women yeah. are, are scared to eat by themselves. And yet, if you get past that, generally the staff treat you so well. They're so lovely yeah. to you. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, and you do, you feel like a princess. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> and and also generally, I mean, like, as you're saying, basically the stuff that you're so scared to do on the other side of that is all the best stuff that's ever happening in your life. Yes. If you would like it. It's just yes. on the other side of that thing you're scared of. Yes. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Okay, I want to take you back. You were born in Los Angeles and grew up in the suburbs of a city called Diamond Bar. Yes. So, yes. So Diamond Bar is a, is a suburb of Los Angeles. It is. It used to be a ranch. So that's how it got its name, the Diamond Bar Ranch. It didn't become a city, like incorporated until I was probably 10, 11 years old. When I was like maybe six months old, like it didn't have a traffic light at the main intersection. Like it was just like, you know, there are places still that you that they're building towns up. And if you're sitting at a stoplight, a tumbleweed will go by. Yeah. <laughs> you're going, yeah. You're like, okay, yeah, we're really out in the sticks. There was one main high school except for if you like got suspended too much you got pregnant and then they sent you to the like reject high school on the outskirts of town like it was so messed up yeah so messed up so but that was never going to happen to you because you seem to have quite a strict day-to-day routine didn't you with what you were doing basically I was whatever I was I was smart and that was the thing that people would give me positive attention for that and being funny. So I had to focus on that because otherwise everyone's just like, oh, when are you going to stop being fat? Here is another diet. You know, and that's what happens. 
it happens less so now maybe, but like when you're a fat kid, they're just like, oh, why? You just, you know, my mom would literally be like, just don't eat. <laughs> Yeah. Or eat tuna with mustard instead of mayo because mayonnaise is too fattening. So hence the mustard in that. That's where that started. Because you're like, mustard has fewer calories. Like little things like that that just get into your head when you're like four or five. That you like get to be 40 and you're like, that little bit fucked up. <laughs> so... <laughs> So when you get home from school, how do mealtimes work? How does that, do you, does anybody cook for you? No. So like both of my parents would be away. Like, um, like the whole thing was like, my mom would get home at six and it was just a countdown timer of what, how much life we could live before like that, like it was like slowly ticking down because at six o'clock she would come home and expect like the dishes to be done. And like some, like we'd have like a couple of chores, which would get put off to like 11, like 550. Right. You know, and it was hilarious because like we'd have, you know, we get home and what there was to eat was like Costco food. So like mini cheeseburgers in like a box of 48 that you could pull out and like put in the microwave and have one or two or 12 of because no one's watching. Um, And then, you know, and then like. 550, it's like, oh, let's run a dirty rag over a dish. Oh no. Let's yeah. my brother's like just throwing the vacuum around the room, like vroom, vroom. And it was a nightmare. So it feels like you didn't see them much? No. Yeah. We did yeah. So there there isn't that same story of like, oh, mom would make this and it would make me feel things. You know, it was like m- both of my parents were, I mean, this is a very it's a classic story now, but it's a very American story, especially in the 80s. Like we're, you know. I got a key on a shoestring around my neck and I let myself in and then my brother in thereafter. And, you know, yeah, they weren't really, like my dad would get home from work. I mean, he would fall asleep taking off his boots. Yes. Do you know what I mean? He'd fall asleep on the couch like this, you know, kind of thing. Um, When he got home and my mom, I mean, literally at some point was just like, I don't, I don't want to talk to you guys when I get home. Like I'm tired. You know, she just said that outright, which is like, Parenting, schmarenting. I love her. God bless her. But at yeah. the time, not what I wanted to hear. But as an adult who is like the age that she was at that point, I'm like, yeah, I get how she would commute two hours to Los Angeles to work, work for eight or nine hours, and then commute two hours back in traffic. And like 13 hours of her day has been sucked up by a job that is never going to pay her enough. You know, so you didn't see her very much, no. and she wasn't cooking for you. Not really. She would cook on Saturdays. It'd be like a big Saturday morning fry up, like that yeah. was the thing, you know. Because Dad would be like, "Where's my breakfast?" Because uh, those were the the social mores that yeah. they were all raised with, and that was just fine. Yeah. Um, so, oh, same in my house. Yeah. So yeah. it's just like, yeah, where's you know, it wasn't quite woman. Where's my food? But it was essentially that. Mm-hmm. And um, so she would be like, already like, I'm gonna get Dad's breakfast. So it was what like, what did you cook? What was breakfast? Oh, I mean, you're gonna love this, guys. So Saturday morning fry ups were fried spam. See, um, <laughs> I'm, I actually, there's, there's something kind of irresistible about Spam. I mean, it is it's, irresistible. It's yummy as hell. Like, it's really tasty. I, you're, you, like, I mean, if you can get over... What it is. Yeah. If or you what just, it isn't. Yeah. And as a kid, you don't have anything to get over. You're like, what it is is delicious. Just fried, or did you kind of, like, put it in a batter or something like no, that? No, just, just, like, fried, like, just, like, you know, so it's got some, like, grill marks mm. on the side, so it's got that, like, you know, crisp on it. But, yeah, she wouldn't batter it. She would just, like, make sure it was, like, all crisp and, like, you know, oozed out. Fried potatoes as well with, like, some spices on them, like some Mrs. Dash or whatever. 
we would all eat one thing. And my mom, meanwhile, was like grilling chicken on the George Foreman grill and like having plain rice and like the most pared down, you know, sometimes she put beans in the pressure cooker and like those were the things that she ate. Your mom had had you. She was also then having to try and work really, really hard. But it's interesting on a Saturday she did really try on yeah. Saturday morning. Yeah, because that's when she had with us Saturdays. Like the weekend is what she had. So that's yeah. when she was like, I can wake up, I can cook. And then like on Sunday, you know, we'd get in the car and go to church. It was just her, me, and my younger brother because my older siblings were old enough to be like, I mm, don't feel like doing that. And like my dad didn't do that. Like my mom became born again when I was like three years old. Was church fun though? I mean, it's quite nice sometimes just to, go and yeah. somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I kind of... I mean, church was... Yeah. I mean, yeah. church was definitely was fun. somewhere because, to go, you know? Yeah. So, something to do. You've got Sunday school and then also yeah. it's black church. So you have like an hour of singing yeah. songs yeah. and like just having a good time before the, yeah. preacher, the preacher's like, okay, everybody's going to hell and I'll see you next week. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <Stop>. Enjoy that. <laughs> Bye. It's like, uh-huh. make sure you pay attention to the donation basket coming around. Um, ties and offering, kids. Ties and offerings. Uh, but it, yeah, that, but because she continued to go to the church that she had been going to, which was in Los Angeles, we had an hour to drive in where we'd be like singing songs when we were younger, like church songs and stuff like that, you know, getting ready for, she's like, what's oh, your what's favorite the other one? one? I mean, the only, well, she had the, um, you know, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. And you do, right. you know, it's like the hokey, hokey cokey. I <laughs> want to say hokey pokey. But, you know, we keep adding another yeah. thing to it, right? But that um, sounds lovely. It was like, really to nice. To be with your mom doing that. Yeah, it was. Like, I mean, those are things that, like, will be with me, like, on my deathbed. So these Sundays with your mom in the car back from church, did you eat together then? The church was in sort of like not quite South Central, but like quite central Los Angeles. Um, you can get some mean old chicken. Um, so yeah, there was definitely after church chicken. There was literally a place called Church's Chicken uh, because, you know, there's not only KFC, which, uh, but like in the States, you know, Popeye's chicken is a huge thing, right? And then in LA, and I'm sure churches other place, but there's Popeye's and there's churches. And so you could definitely go sit down and get the sort of chicken meal. And it just felt like, you know, we were just being our best black selves on a Sunday. We'd gone to church. We're in like, you know, our nice little outfits. My little brother's in a tiny little suit or whatever. And we're like, okay, now we're going to tuck in our napkins up here and eat this greasy ass chicken. And it was, it was delightful. It didn't happen every time, but like, you know, it's one of those things of like, if sometimes you just work your parents' nerve enough, and if you and your brother work it out just right, you're like, come on, mom, please, please, can we do it? And they're just like, okay, fine, let's go. And we're like, yeah. It doesn't sound like you were the center of attention when you were a kid. Oh, so that's why I have this disease how, now. <laughs> how do you get from being quiet, quiet, not center of attention, to screaming on stage <laughs> in a primal scream about being unfuckable for 35 nights in a row on a bus. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, when you put it that way, I mean, you know, success story. Um, how I get there is like exactly, uh, two words, middle child. That is exactly how you get there. When you are the kid that ever, that you just go, does anyone care if I'm alive or not? Like, you know, does anyone know, like... When you're a middle kid, it's just kind of like you don't get raised. You just kind of like you like you're just sandwiched between other kids that got raised. Was so- there um, 
Was there a drama club or anything like that to go to? Yeah, yeah. This was uh, in high school, junior year. So like my third out of four years and like, you know, took drama as an elective and was good at it and like auditioned for the play and got a lead in a play and like just found my sense of self. And like, it was the first time that I felt like I belonged somewhere. You were clearly extremely smart. At 18, you went to the little-known university, Yale. Yeah, (laughs) just this little place in New Haven. (laughs) Uh, And after that, you spent 13 years living in New York City. How were your first months in New York? They were rough. I graduated in uh, May of 2001, and then obviously in September, 9-11 happened. Um, And so, yeah, so that was an interesting way to start life uh, because (laughs) at the time, you don't understand what's going on. I mean, I definitely remember that day and, like, just the dawning of what was happening. Nothing inside of me or my life made sense, but now nothing in the entire world makes sense. So now I feel... Like, okay, I can swim in this water. Like, I, like I, no, nothing makes sense to anyone. Was this one of those times when you wanted to eat to not feel again? Oh, for sure. I just, I, I didn't have the, uh, the kind of money to take it to the lengths that I really would have done. But yeah, I think that at this time, like, you know, it, w- it would have been a lot of slices, a lot of pizza slices, you know, like London's a chicken and chips town and New York is a slice of pizza town. So that it's it's the, you know. What's it, your go-to slice? My go-to slice is a Sicilian, which is the thick square slice because I just like a thick crust. Um, and, you know, it's got like a whole blanket of cheese. I will sometimes uh, ask them to throw some pepperoni on that. And then obviously stuff. Um, w- before they wrap it up, he's like, oh, do you want to put some stuff on it? And stuff means any of the jars of like uh, chili flakes, Parmesan cheese, oregano, like pepper, whatever the heck you want to like stuff, get it all stuffed stuffed up, you know, and then like take that. I mean, and you either take it with you or you just like don't and you just walk down the street like some, you know, like weird primate shoveling it into your face. So there was a lot of pizza happening. So it was while you were living in New York in your early 20s that you got a job as a dominatrix. I did. And what interested me was looking on YouTube and seeing this thing that You've done and you've written about it and you've sure. done shows about it, but that's in your words when you talk about it. It's yeah. it, it it's your choice. And then I've seen you on shows where it just gets brought up and it's often men. <laughs> yeah, of course. And then suddenly you're sitting there as a presence with a lot of men. It could be Westlife. Yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> Jonathan Ross. You know, big nasty. Sitting there with Westlife. And suddenly somebody just goes, and Desiree, you used to be a dominatrix. Yeah. And yeah. everything and you goes, go, yeah. Boom, 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 yeah. Boom. And, and then, you're like, and now armed with this, we shall all do what? Yeah. And how does that feel? It's... Uh, Okay, there's a lot of different things I feel about it. First of all, there's a a framing in my mind that I understand it in, and that I wonder how much this would come up in America or not. Mm -hmm. This is a particularly kinky country. Yes. (laughs) It really is. So people get all like, tell me more. Titillated. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the thing is, like, 
there's, how do I talk about this? Because the truth of what you're asking is not what you want to hear. The truth is that is a job and it can be weird and emotional and gross and fluidy and all these things that like you think you want to hear. And then I tell you and you go like, oh, you're like, yeah, because it's not just like whoosh, and wearing latex, you know, it's a lot of like, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of crossing a threshold to play a character to someone who has got, um, you know, a fetish built around some kind of incident in their lives or some, you know, whatever they're working out. I mean, one of my regulars was someone who was, you know, who had served in the armed forces. And, and it's just like, you know, like they're coming back with like, I need this pain in order to feel something because that part of my brain is close to the pleasure part. But if I just feel pleasure with abandon, like I, I don't, I have so much guilt that I can't do that. So I need to go through this process in order to get to my pleasure. But that, that's not what's interesting to someone who's like, so you used to be a dominatrix. And I feel like I went into this job, still a virgin, right? You know, looking for my own answers about like sexuality, not only like, like men and what they're into, but like, that's what I thought I was looking for. I was looking for, is this body capable of being sexual or sexualized? And this was the avenue in which a big body is because, you know, it's the fetish world. So a big black woman is the the secret desire that people have that they won't announce in public. And so you like, for me, it was so much about my own self-discovery and my discovery of, like, the psyches of these men that I was encountering. And, like, through this weird theater that is sex work, you know, in that particular form of it, right? You know, it's, it's I'm pretending to be some kind of dominant human being, even though I'm, like, 23 years old and I've never dominated anything in my life. Um, I was quite a shit dominatrix, but nobody cares. when They're just like, well, you're young and you're wearing yeah. the uniform, so great. Do you know the thing that interests me the most? What are the snacks like when you're not actually doing it? Is that how do you uh, how do you fit food into this job? Oh my goodness! I mean, <laughs> do, I, you, do you get hungry? Do you you get- do, well, it depends. Yes, it depends. Very much depends. So um, the 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 snack situation because I mean. You you show up to your shifts, very sort of like waiting tables. You show up to your shift, you get your gear on. Do you know what I mean? Like you, whatever, you definitely get your face made up. And, you know, if you have a session, you might be in sort of a corset and hot pants or a skirt or whatever right away. But because of where it was located, it was in an office building. Like we were in Midtown. There was like a Whole Foods around the corner. So literally you could be like, I'm going to go run out. Does anybody want something? I'm going to go to the, you know, the, you know, they have the buffet and you're just like going like, oh, you're scooping up, you know, it's like, <laughs> it was like, oh, I brought back, you know, a thing of tortellini and, a, you know, <laughs> and so it's like, or you're just sitting there eating watermelon slices, but like, there was that Whole Foods around the corner that was really, I mean, they must have known. You know, yeah. you just see some woman like in jet black with an overcoat <laughs> and like a bunch of makeup on. You're like, everybody's working, right? <laughs> well, this has been a wild ride. Yes. <laughs> it always is when you start with cheese rice, <laughs> Um, Darling. Thank you so much for comfort eating with me. Thank you so much for bringing the comfort back to the eating, Grace. Thank you. This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Emma Roberts. The series producer is Leia Green and the executive producer is Cathy Drysdale. 
Theme music was composed by Axel Kakutier and the episode was mixed by Sammy L. Anani. If you enjoy comfort eating, please leave us a rating and a review. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is The Guardian. 